Pastor Xavier Reese with this warning about temptation and pride. You might look at the world as you're traveling down the street, maybe Las Vegas Strip, and you have all these casinos on the side, all these lights, and they're just pulling you in, and all these attractions, and, and that tug comes in. You gotta walk down that road, and you got all these things tugging all through your life, the world. And it is attractive, it is glittery. And we are tempted to say, well, I can control it, it won't get me. Can you take fire to your bosom and not be burned? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. If you're trying to live the life of a super-Christian, remember that God's Word tells us that pride comes before the fall. Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to his study in the book of Deuteronomy as he explains why we need to put our faith in Christ and Christ alone when it comes to fighting off temptation. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. I've entitled the message, To Rule, You Must Be Ruled. Moses was a prophet like no other to whom God spoke face to face and not in dark speeches. He is said to have been the meekest man on the earth, the one who had been used by God to deliver Israel. But now he is coming to the end of his life, and he is preparing the children of Israel to possess the land. And so he proclaims to them God's requirement for a king who would rule over them in verses 14 through 20. Let me read the passage and then we'll look at the points. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You shall not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of the law of these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children, in the midst of Israel. Now the proclamation is marked by three important elements. First, the prophetic announcement of a king in verses 14 and 15. Then we have the prohibitions for the king, verses 16 through 17. And then the priorities of the king are in verses 18 through 20. Let's look at the prophetic announcements of a king. Notice first that the time would be when they would come into the land. Verse 14, the first portion. Remember they had spent 430 years in Egypt. The first years were good to them. Joseph was the prime minister, second in command. And the best of the land was given to them, Goshen. 
God had put Joseph there by design that they would not perish. But then there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, and they became the slaves of the Egyptians. They built the Pharaoh's cities. They became the servants under the taskmasters with the whip. But they had also been delivered by God with a mighty hand. God had judged the gods of Egypt, all the plagues, and all the judgments were judgments upon the very gods who were supposed to protect Egypt. To demonstrate that they were no gods at all. God also judged the firstborn from the house of Pharaoh to the very least. As his refusal to let go God's firstborn, Israel. They had also wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, a year was spent at Sinai where they received the Ten Commandments, the judgments and statutes, and the pattern for the tabernacle. God schooled them for an entire year. And then there was a refusal to enter the land shortly after because they saw the giant, they saw the walled cities. Therefore, they began their greatest death march of 38 years as every person from the age of 20 on up died in the wilderness and no one entered the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. Moses and Aaron did not enter in. They were now ready to enter the land and to begin its conquest. The crossing of the Jordan would mark the beginning of a life of faith that would have to continue in the life of promise. And so God would be preparing them from this point on all these lessons to be beneficial for their lives, for the future. As you and I, as God deals with us from day to day, situation from situation, and he teaches us so that we can learn for the future, for tomorrow. Notice, secondly, that the request would come from the people. This request would come from the very people that God had delivered, in verse 14 still. The time would come when they would think they outgrew God, and they knew better. Listen to their words. I will set a king over me. What a tragic day it is when Christians say, I will set a king over me. The flip side of that is this. Listen to it well. I will not have God rule over me. Where we keep going down the line and God has done so much and we think that we have learned so much and that no longer do we need God. Now I can take hold of my life myself. Now I can call the shots because I've got power. I've got wisdom. The time would come when they would desire to be like the people of the land. Notice and listen to the words, like all the nations that are around me. How often I have heard the words of people who know God say, I don't want to follow the Lord. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I want to be like the other people. I want to do what I want to do. What a sad day that is. What a dangerous day that is. We were like all the people in the land around us before we came to Christ, remember? We always want to say that we're our own person. But look around us. Most of us follow some kind of trend, whether it be in dress and hair or whatever it is. 
And when we see somebody who's really his own person, we say, they're weird. Why do we say they're weird? Because they don't look like everybody else. Most of us are followers. Now the prophetic fulfillment was in Saul. The sons of Samuel were not walking with God, but were in fact walking and going after the son as gain, bribes, and perverting judgment in 1 Samuel 8.3. And so there came a time Samuel was the intermediate, the transition, if you will, from the judges to the king. He was the last judge. And there came a day when the people were looking at Samuel and they realized that his sons were not walking with God. Yet they were in the place of God's men. And they were perverting judgment. They were, and, and they weren't alone. Remember Eli's sons? They were the same thing. And God said, I'm going to kill them. And so they saw what was going on. They said, now Samuel, you know, we want a king. Like all the other nations. And so the people came to Ramah. And they asked Samuel to make them a king in order to judge them like all the other nations there in 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 5. Now Samuel was displeased and prayed to the Lord God. And the Lord told him that they were not rejecting him, but they were rejecting God from ruling over their lives in verses 6 and 8 of that same chapter. How easy it is for me to think that people are rejecting me when in fact they're rejecting God. When I take the gospel, when I share something and then people get upset at me or they talk about me or whatever it is and I, and I get all emotional, I get all real, you know, soft and I, oh, I can't believe I was trying, you know, do I realize they're rejecting God, not me? Why do I get so upset or why do I get so hurt? Because I really think they're rejecting me. And how dare they, I'm so wise. And I'm only looking out for their good. When you confront your children, they reject you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. You confront them. You restrain them. Samuel went on to warn them about the cost to their sons and their daughters and their provisions if they had such a king in verses 9 through 17 of that same chapter, 1 Samuel 8. He said, he's going to take your sons and take them to war. They're going to serve him. He's going to take your daughters and they're going to be the servants and maids. He's going to take a portion of all your harvest and everything else to equip his kingdom. And what did the people say? They said, oh, it's all right. It's okay. We, it's okay. Remember the people? Let his blood be upon us and on our children. Oh, we so flippantly commit ourselves to, to the warnings. Ah, it's all right. And then when the, when the consequences come, we say, oh, how could I? Why did I? You know Why? Because we have the immediate benefit in mind and not the long-term consequence. We think that somehow we can escape and we will escape, but we do not escape. It comes as sure as the warning. Listen to Samuel as he speaks for God in verse 18 of that chapter. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Ooh, what awesome words. Is it possible for me to be so persistent and so rebellious and so set on my way that God would give it to me and allow me to reap the full consequence of it? Yes. Yes, it is very possible. Look at David. 
Look at many others in the Bible. Oh, they were forgiven. Forgiveness is not the option. That's not the question. The minute you repent from any sin, you are forgiven, you are cleansed, you are new, you are like it never happened. But the consequences will remain. That's the reality of life. And so the requests came from the people. It would come from the people. But notice thirdly in verse 15 that the requirements would have to be met. The king, first of all, who was to rule over them, would have to be chosen by God. Saul was the people's choice, not God's. You ever pick that up in Scripture? He was a head taller than all, handsome, a Benjamite, 1 Samuel 9, 1 and 2 tells us. And so we get so caught up on the outward appearance of people. Oh, look at him, look at her. And God says, yeah, look at them. Because he sees the heart. We get so caught up in the mug, the body, the dress, the personality. The people were pleased with the outward appearance, but God looked upon the heart of Saul. Now, remember when Saul was going to be inaugurated, anointed. They couldn't find him. They finally found him hiding under some stuff and baskets. There's two ways you can look at that. You can look and say, man, look how humble he was when he began. Or you could look and say, he's not king material. He's carnal. Now, whichever view you take, the important thing is not how you begin, but how you're going to finish. Saul did not finish well. His epitaph was this, I have played the fool and sinned against God. The people's choice, always far less in value than God's choice. Secondly, the king to rule over them would have to be among, from among them, their brethren, not a foreigner. Why? It's very simple. First, one of their own would identify with the people and you always serve the people better if you can identify, know who they are, where they're coming from. Secondly, one of their own could alone secure them from betrayal. For that reason, we don't allow people to run for the office of president unless you're a citizen and native of the United States. We, we don't open our elections up to, for anybody to run from Russia or China or Mexico or anything else because they need loyalty. One day, the younger of two sons said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that fall to me. And he went to a far country and he wasted all his possessions with wasteful living because he thought he was able to rule over his own life rather than following God's ways and his father's. But he soon found himself feeding pigs while he was yet hungry. Oh, what a danger it is when we don't want to be ruled by God. The danger of time in every person's life is that we come to a place after having depended on God, after we have overcome the hard times and the difficulties and we're dwelling in safety that we desire to take hold of our own lives and be our own kings. We forget that we were slaves to sin without Christ. We forget that what we have is due to what God has done for us and in us. 
Somehow we say, well, you know, I've done pretty well. And I made it. And we forget that God, by His grace, has done what we have and who we are. We think that we are partly responsible for what we have and who we are. As if it was by our doing. And we forget the time that God has been with us. The desire is to be like all other people who know not God. Is that crazy or what? Isn't that what we used to be? Their seeming freedom is very alluring, is it not? They seem to go wherever they want. Think however they want. Express themselves. Their seeming fun and temporary happiness is enticing, is it not? Seeming fun. Seeming happiness. Oh, it was great last night, man. You should have been. Oh, you weren't there. Oh, too bad. Like if you've missed out on something. Their seeming ability to escape consequence or even to be hurt or damaged are deceptive lies. They tell you, ah, don't worry about that. It's no big deal. I used to think like that too, but that's just, you know, those judgment principles of Christianity. They don't want you to have fun. Ah, there's nothing wrong with it. But they don't tell you the truth when they're alone. When they're laying in bed at night, crying, regretting. The only wisdom is to submit to the kingship of Jesus Christ over our lives. He has our eternal benefit in mind. We have our temporal benefit in mind. He has our temporary protection in mind. We are willing to sacrifice it. He has our spiritual growth and development in mind. We care about having fun. The prophetic announcement of a king is a picture of each of us desiring to rule over his own life. Mm, what a danger. Then he gives to us the prohibitions for a king. Verses 16 and 17. Notice first in verse 17, the first portion, he was not to multiply horses to himself. Horses were equivalent to military power. Tanks. Remember when David had Joab number the men of Israel and God judged him in 2 Samuel 24 2? Joab said, David, why would you want to take a number? Why do you want to take a census for it? Didn't God say he'd make his sands of the sea and, and, and to never have to worry about it? And God gave David three choices. Yes, even David could become self-confident. Horses would bring about self-confidence and pride. I am sufficient. I can do this. I can do that. Oh, I've done that before. Yeah, I know how. Ooh. Horses would cause the king to get his eyes off God, and so he did. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God, Psalm 20, verse 7 says. There you have the imagery. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord. Notice, secondly, he was not to cause the people to return to Egypt and multiply horses. So he wasn't to multiply horses for himself and also the people. Egypt is a type of the world, always in Scripture. Egypt is the place of bondage in their past as well as ours. It's where we lived. 
is what we were brought out of. Egypt is a place that divides the heart with the things of God. You might look at the world as you're traveling down the street, maybe Las Vegas Strip, and God says, walk straight through, and you have all these casinos on the side, all these lights, and they're just pulling you in, and all these attractions, and, and that tug comes in. You've got to walk down that road, and you've got all these things tugging all through your life, the world. And it is attractive. It is glittering. And we are tempted to say, well, I can control it. It won't get me. I can go around those places. Nothing will happen. Ooh, can you take fire to your bosom and not be burned? If you think you can, then you must think you have an S on your chest. <laughs> not so. You cannot walk with the world without compromising with God. Never. God said they were not to return that way again. You remember the prophet of old in the Old Testament that was sent by God to Jeroboam to bring judgment upon him? He was there at the altar, and he made judgment upon Jeroboam at the altar, and he stuck his finger out to have him killed and taken hold of, and God withered up his hand. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. And he regained his arm. He healed him. And then he said, oh, come home and eat and drink with me. And he says, no, no, no. God told me not to go back the same way I came. So he took off. This other prophet heard of this. So he said, hey, listen, I'm a prophet of God also. And God told me for you to come home with me. God said, oh, okay. He went. And as they were eating, God prophesied, because you've disobeyed, you're going to die. He took off down the road. A lion came out and killed him. Now the jackass he was riding was still there. Next to the lion, the lion didn't touch the jackass. Because the jackass was smarter. He was not in rebellion against God. Oh, I'll tell you, those who want to go back the way they came, there's nothing but death. And I see it all the time. I see it every week as I talk to people. Their lives are a mess because of the choices they've made. Having been delivered, bringing themselves back into the worst bondage than they ever were in. Thirdly, he was not to multiply wives to himself. God's ideal is proclaimed in Genesis, one man for one woman, creating a home to reflect God's love, his care, and his holiness. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they two shall become one flesh. Any person who thinks they can be a husband to more than one wife have a, a lot of delusions of grandeur. That's not a negative view on you, ladies. The <laughs> problem of multiplying wives is clearly recorded by the life of Jacob. They competed for him. He was forced to have favorites, and because of that, there was discord and hatred within his own home. Come, you sleep with me tonight. I've bought you with my son's mandrakes. Oh, really? Poor Jacob. He was such a good sport, wasn't he? He had a horrible life. His wife's fighting all the time. Him having favorites. His children hating one another. Oh, one man, one woman. What an incredible package. What an incredible design. Your heart is sold. It's captured. There is no rival. You're at peace. You can enjoy. The specific reason given is that these wives would turn his heart 
away from God. Very simple. Very simple. Pastor Xavier Reese with a gentle reminder showing the need to make God and only God the master of our life. And you can request a copy of today's thought-provoking lesson from the book of Deuteronomy titled, To Rule, You Must Be Ruled. If you'd like to review it once again, it's available on CD for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to share with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. So the title to ask for once again is, To Rule, You Must Be Ruled. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us when you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. With temptations all around, how can we resist and stay out of trouble? Pastor Xavier Reese has the answer here on The Next Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 